Hello and welcome back to Eldritch Girl. Um, I hope everyone had a really good Christmas break. Uh, this is part 12 where we're picking up the end of chapter 7 and going into chapter 8 of the novel. So chapter 8 is incredibly long and I've split it up so we've got a little bit of a cliffhanger at the end and a certain character is about to have something rather nasty happen to them and I didn't want that to be what we ended on uh, before Christmas. So <laughs> um, you're going to have to wait until next week to find out what happens to them. But uh, what we have is uh, Katie's memory of her 11th birthday, which um, has been extracted from her by Fairwood House as she goes back into the house following the disastrous coffee with her brother. Um, you have um, more family bullying in that, um, more of the sort of the child neglect and the cold parents, particularly a cold maternal figure and a very distant father figure. But you also have the manipulation of a child because um, you see how Beverly is trying to make Katie into her weapon. Um, so you have that. And obviously it's from Katie's perspective. So she's kind of oblivious that that's what was going on. You also have homophobia from Katie's father, gift giving because it's a birthday um, and a secret gift giving, but without sexual implications to it. Uh, basically, Ricky gives her money and tells her not to tell anyone. In chapter eight, there's homicidal thoughts about family members dealing with grief uh, feelings of anger and guilt around uh, bereavement um, and some graphic on-page violence. So hopefully that'll be all right and I hope that you'll enjoy part 12. Chapter 7, part 2. Katie's memory, her 11th birthday. Very few family members attended Katie's birthdays. Gran said she could invite some friends from school if she wanted instead, but Katie only wanted Rachel to come and Rachel's father wouldn't let her. Her mum had done a buffet this year. Her siblings weren't around, not even Wes. He was in London for the weekend, couldn't get away. He called her, though, asked about school and her presence, and had taken an interest in her gymnastics competition. She knew the others didn't like spending time with her because she was dangerous, but until recently she thought it was like chicken pox, like everyone was afraid of catching something. This year, Gran had sat her down and explained it was the other way around. They were afraid of being caught up in her nightmares, and only the ones who came weren't afraid. The ones who showed her their strength knew that she was special. She was the family's big bright hope, Gran's little butterfly. She would make the family strong again, prune it back like Gran pruned the bushes in the garden. It was a big task. Katie thought Gran was trying to make her feel better. It sounded too much like stories grown-ups tell you to make you do things, something that wasn't real. But if I'm their hope, why won't they talk to me? Katie asked. Why don't I have friends? That's because you'll have to prune the ones who need to go, even if you like them, Gran told her. I like this little branch. Look, every blossom is so pretty, isn't it? Pretty as all the others, but it's going in the wrong direction and it needs to go. Snip. The secateurs clicked together and the branch fell to the soil. Katie observed the blades, sticky with sap, the fresh green underneath the bush's new wound. Just like that, said Gran, and she smiled. Does it hurt? Katie wanted to know. Not for long, 
said Gran. Here, you try. Snip, snip. And Katie trimmed the budlier with some difficulty, the tougher branches resisting her, as if they didn't want to be pruned at all. Like them, Gran said. There's them as'll fight you, some of them, but there's no resisting it, no fighting the thirteenth. Snip, snip, snip. Chop them off. That's it. That's my little princess. That had been earlier in the year, of course, when it was not as hot, on another weekend far away. Mum found something to fill every available second, anything to avoid being in Gran's way. Katie wanted a cuddle, but she was eleven now, another year into double figures, nearly a teenager, would be going to the comprehensive in September. She hugged herself instead as everyone set up the buffet and commented on her pretty pink dress, didn't she look sweet? Unfold your arms, let's see the sparkles. Katie thought she ought to be allowed to hug herself on her own birthday, but she did as she was told, and everyone cooed at her as if she was seven. It was almost a relief when Cousin Ricky showed up, much to the anger of her father and the disgust of Auntie Tess. Sober as a judge, she announced to them all, hands raised. Swear to Grandad, look at my eyes. Hello, Auntie Tess, smug as ever. Mum sends her love, ain't feeling well. Where's the birthday girl, then? Katie gave herself another reassuring hug and he leaned behind her, squeezing her into the back of the chair. He'd ruined all of her birthdays so far, apart from last year, when he hadn't been allowed in the house at all. He had dropped off his parents' gift, smoked in the garden for a bit, called her dad a bad word and left. He'd never hugged her before. He did it like he didn't want to touch her, or he wasn't sure how to do it. He smelled stale and sour, unwashed. It was brief... He hugged the chair more than her, but the sensation of clumsy pressure stayed with her as he let her go and dropped something on the table beside her. Didn't have a card, Ricky said matter-of-factly. The old woman's not so organised these days, wrapping ain't her strong suit no more. Anyway, thought you could just get what you wanted. Better than being told what you want, right? It was £100 in used £10 notes, grubby, smelling of smoke. Thank you? She'd never seen that much cash in one place. Wouldn't be allowed to have it. Mum needed it. It was so unexpected, so generous, it blew away all the bad memories for a moment. One um, Ricky said, squatting by her seat. Birthday money. Don't let them see it, they'll say it's too much for a kid. Take it to wherever your little friend's taking you. Katie nodded. Disneyland, she whispered, and slipped it under the table in her fist. Rachel's uncle is taking us with his boyfriend, but don't tell Dad. Ricky cocked an eyebrow, failing to hide a sneer. What's your dad got against Disneyland? It's that talking black rat, ain't it? Mouse, she corrected, giggling. He let her laugh, checked no one was listening and whispered in her ear. Now listen, don't give that to anyone else. If they're hard up, they can swallow their pride and ask me now, can't they? That's for you. Do you understand? Our secret. Happy birthday. She giggled. Maybe it would be better this year. She scurried upstairs and hid the money in her sock drawer, their exciting little secret, her hidden treasure. Of course, he had a beer in his hand by the time she came back, and that was that. He ignored her for the next hour, hanging around making snide comments and seeing how far the grown-ups could be pushed. Something deep inside her stirred. Something inside that hollow feeling, as if her whole body was some kind of egg. Katie sat obediently at the table, answering questions about what she wanted to do when she grew up, while the adults dissected her dreams and showed her how silly they all were, and gave helpful suggestions about other, better ways to spend her lifetime. Then her dad called Ricky something she didn't really understand, the kind of word she'd get a smack for repeating, 
Ricky's head opened up at the back and vomited tendrils and slug slime, and her father snapped with his big second jaws regurgitated from the back of his throat, and Ricky called her father something bad back and hammered him. Then her mother was screaming, her father was on the floor with cousin Ricky laying into him, Auntie Tess was yelling, someone else was in tears, and Gran was sitting in the garden and not saying anything at all. When Ricky finally stopped beating her dad, leaving him curled up in the hall, bleeding into the carpet, he turned his head to Katie, smiled at her, and walked out. Two days later, Mum discovered the birthday money, screamed about it for hours, and confiscated it all. Katie was told Ricky Porter was a thief and a bad influence, that Ricky had given her this money to taunt her parents with, throw it in their faces, make them upset. And then she'd cried and said how much she wanted to go to Disneyland with Rachel and her uncles Richard and Jerry. It just slipped out, and her father had gone apoplectic and said no kid of his was going anywhere with a couple of something else she didn't quite understand until later, and that was the end of it. Katie cried for days afterwards, left with the obscure feeling it was Cousin Ricky's fault, and he really had given her that money on purpose to make her parents angry with her. You ought to put him on the list, her mother said, after Rachel reluctantly went off to Paris without her. It was the first time she'd mentioned the list, or acknowledged that such a thing existed. Gran was the only one who talked about it, and Katie had thought Gran was the only one who knew. Katie tried and tried to do it, just to please her mum, but it didn't work. When she dreamed of Cousin Ricky, which she did for a few months afterwards, and then again a few years later as a younger teen, if truth be told, her dreams were about that awkward hug and the fight with her dad. In some of the dreams she was him, and in others she was mutely egging him on where no one could hear her, watching as he kicked her dad's head in right there in the hall and turned back and grinned. She couldn't dream about the beast. The beast wouldn't hunt him down. Despite her failure, Katie became aware of something else, something that remained the same ever since that awful birthday, the sense that she was incubating something inside her, something which, over time, was growing and filling her up, something that fused itself slowly to her skin from the inside, something she loved and feared at the same time that had no name, that was always both something other, while also as much of a part of her as her bone marrow. It lived within, waiting to hatch. One day, she'd become Gran's little butterfly, and Katie was afraid. Chapter 8. The Invisible Man I went over the heads of the things a man reckons desirable. No doubt invisibility made it possible to get them, but it made them impossible to enjoy them when they are got. H.G. Wells, The Invisible Man 14th of January Fairwood House, who wore its nickname proudly and with fondness, but still thought the formal one suited it best, swallowed its reluctant guests. They were propelled from the foyer as the door closed on them and drawn along a corridor to the right of the grand staircase where they settled in the kitchen. The mixed stones of the 18th century kitchen extension grew hot with excitement. Three again, three at last, and yet the blood magic was still strong, still determinedly reminding the rest of the house what atrocities the Pendles committed, why no Pendle blood should set foot there. The hearthstone throbbed beneath the range, conflicted. One of the old pendles, way back when the first initials and signs were carved into the hearthstone surface, had instilled in it a love for triads. Three P's for pendle, chiselled shakily in the rock. 
the year 1633, and Pendle children usually came in threes, one after the other or as triplets. There had been three sets of triplets born over six generations. Only children were rare in that family. The last one had been 1879. Ricky Porter was the most recent Pendle blood to be a single birth, and now he had woken up his ancestral stone and the energies that coursed through it. It needed two more to join him. It could tell he didn't like that. Fairwood as a whole wished it wasn't these particular two, but it still wanted, no, needed, to bring them inside itself. The house felt both its guests as they entered with its lodger, but one left no impression other than a shifting sense of loss and absence, as if he were a hollow ghost, the fleeting wisps of a dream, dying to memory over and over. He crossed the floors, spilling seeds of something that tasted like psychosis, a bitter edge that lingered and sunk deep into the grouting like black mould. It felt like the residue Ricky had tracked in once from the long barrow out in Barrow Field, but that could be brushed up and cleaned off. This was insidious, alive. It itched, the invisible man and irritant burying itself deep into the substance of the house. It regretted letting him in. It condensed its various personalities into the plaster and mortar shape of its avatar, a humanoid embodiment of the crows in all stages of its history, but allowed the preserved personality of Carrie Rickard, its last doomed owner, to take the lead. Carrie Fairwood pushed through the oak panelling in the hall, a dense, solid wood statue. She let pale plaster smooth over the grain, letting fabric clothes part from the fake skin, and ran her stiff, cold fingers through a ponytail of insulation foam yellow. She waited a moment until the reflection in the glass front of the grandfather clock showed her something more human than mannequin, although it wasn't quite right. It was close enough, though. She tried out a welcoming smile and breezed into the kitchen, the warm, beating heart and stomach of the house. It was strange to recall a time when her heart and stomach were in different places. She forgot to touch the radio and turned it on as she walked in, making her guests jump. The invisible man was no better while she was in this form. He shifted too fast to capture the essence of him, and Carrie Fairwood remembered a time when Carrie had been alive, meeting him at a pub in town. He had played tricks on her mind, and there was only a gap in her memories where he ought to have been. He might as well have no face. It was a screaming blur of rapid movement to Carrie Fairwood's windowpane eyes, as if he were made up of flat layers, each moving at a different speed. His clothes remained still, and the only thing she could concentrate on. The itch he left within her burned like a cigarette scorch on treated mahogany. Hello? The words stuck, but the rest didn't. Tambra, pitch, tone, none of that worked somehow, like his whole voice was a thousand tuning forks, all vibrating at different levels. We met at the snake, I don't know if you remember. He laughed. She couldn't remember how it sounded, but it left an impression of a bitter edge. Of course I do. Carrie Fairwood held out her hand. That pub trip was, quite literally, a lifetime ago. You're Wesley Porter, right? Ricky's cousin. Wes, please. He took her hand and kissed the back of it. His fingers and lips sent electric shocks through the avatar's wiring and the kitchen lights flickered in distress. Carrie Fairwood pulled her hand away. Great to see you again. Katie glanced warily up at the lights, then turned her attention to the avatar. Uh, I'm... I'm Katie. I'm... I've kind of been staying here. 
She glanced at Ricky, who was getting a casserole out of the oven as if introductions were someone else's problem. We had some issues in town with my, with our family, and I wondered if it would be okay for me to just stay a bit longer. You better not have brought the wrath of that bloody lot down on me, the Avatar warned, shooting a glare at Ricky. Her lodger looked affronted. They wouldn't come here. If I get a broken window again, I swear to God I'll make you pay for it. Ricky's tendrils flicked out of the back of his head. I'll sort it, he promised. Let's let's just sit down and have dinner, yeah? I should, Wes shifted, embedding his spores on fresh tiles, and Carrie Fairwood grated enamel teeth, needing him to sit the fuck down and touch nothing. Make him sit, he's doing my head in. Ricky barely blinked, but she knew he understood. Sit down, he said, shoulder-checking his cousin and pushing him into a chair. Katie sat first, hunching her shoulders and compressing herself into the seat as if to take up as little space as possible, toying with the fraying ends of her sleeves. It was easy to get inside her head. Carrie Fairwood avoided it, though. It was a dark place for a kid. Things squirmed around in there, the usual morass of doubt and fear and self-loathing. Hatred for her family, resentment and anguish and the deep desire to belong anyway. But underneath all that, there was something else. Like Ricky, hiding his real form below the surface of his skin, there was more to Katie Porter and it wasn't even nearly human. The house didn't like touching that. It sensed the damage something like that could do once it was ready. Wes was harder. Each time the house found cracks between the shifting layers deep enough to seep through several at a time, another layer beneath would shift its pattern and knock its seeking consciousness away like a bothersome fly. Wes seemed unaware he was doing it, but he did keep rubbing his forehead as if it knew something was bothering him. On the next attempt, Carrie's consciousness took over and focused on the things she remembered about Wes when she'd been alive. This invasive push found a chink in the shifting armour, and the house was rewarded with a sense of who Wesley Porter was. Its questing sentience struck something fetid and painful, surrounded by swarms of thoughts buzzing like houseflies. The avatar withdrew its concentration. Ricky caught her eye and flashed a wry grin as if he'd guessed what was bothering her. Leave them to me, they ain't that easy. You forget what we're like. Haven't any but me been here for sixty years or more? Ricky channeled his thought into her floor as he tossed cutlery at his cousins. Aren't you eating? Katie asked the Avatar, noticing there were only three sets and three plates. No, I've eaten. She smiled, a painted warm smile that her friend said made her look less uncanny. You don't work at the supermarket anymore, Katie said, still picking at her sleeve. How come? Carrie Fairwood flashed her lodger a look. Won the lottery. Oh, Katie looked at Ricky and nodded. Wes snorted. Was it worth it? Was what worth it? He waved a hand, and it hurt her eyes in the way pebbles did when they cascaded against her glass. I don't want to overstep, just you don't look well. He put his head on one side. I'd say you look dead, but that's not it either. Ricky slopped casserole on his cousin's plate. She's fine. She's not fine. Wes picked up his fork and prodded the meal. And I'm vegan. Yeah, there's vegetables in it. Ricky served Katie with a little more care and took the rest of the dish to his seat. Wes put his fork down. I don't want to be a bother. I can just... There's nut roast in the fridge. Carrie Fairwood went to get it, feeling Wes's smudged vortices of eyes drilling into the back of her. The sensation was physical, 
twin blunt power tools rotating between her shoulder blades. They dragged themselves downwards, leaving a dull ache behind until he was staring at her arse. She turned around, nut roast in hand, and tried not to look at him. The green beans have flaked almonds with them, but no butter. She shot a look at Ricky. He's practically vegan, except for the raw meat. Small paleo, Ricky said with his mouth full. He hadn't bothered with the plate and was digging into the casserole dish with a serving spoon. You'll have to excuse him, Carrie Fairwood said dryly. He's still getting used to food with actual flavour. The angle of the knife in Wes's hand gave her pause. She focused on it instead of him, dredging up memories of 1786 and the night Sir John found out his wife had been too friendly with Sir Archibald Truss, and of 1643, when the steward had a lover's tiff with the cellarer. Both incidents had ended badly, and both had begun with someone holding a knife exactly like that. Then again, Ricky Porter was notoriously hard to kill. Even before his changes, he had survived overdoses and hypothermia, had walked away from car crashes and falls, and had got up the next morning to do it all again. She doubted a blunt bit of stainless steel was going to do him much damage, but that wasn't the point. You can stay, she said to Katie, taking a seat. She nodded at Wes. You can't. Not for long, at any rate. Long enough to scratch the itch of having a three around the pendle stone, but no more. In Carrie's memory, Wes had seemed flirty, cocky with overtones of pervert, but she kind of liked him. She'd also been pretty drunk, so now was a better opportunity to observe him and make her mind up. Wes shrugged, and the knife shifted position. Fine by me. Appreciate the dinner. Very kind of you, thanks. Three of them ate their meal, and Carrie Fairwood guarded the table in stiff, tense silence. Chapter 8, Part 2 Katie finished her meal as fast as she could, cleared her own plate away, and tiptoed into the living room to watch TV. The living room was a blessed relief after the heavy atmosphere in the kitchen, with Ricky and Wes glowering at each other. At least, she remembered Ricky glowering and assumed Wes had been doing the same. The owner, Carrie, was all wrong. It was like someone had brought a shop dummy to life and it was trying to fix the fact it wasn't quite human. She shuddered and hugged a plump cushion into her chest. Oh my God, the way Ricky talked to the walls, the way the house always felt like it was watching. Something was wrong, weirdly, creepily wrong in ways she couldn't quite put together. What had Ricky done? She was sure that somehow it was his fault. Rachel had worked with Carrie Rickard at Superprice for a while and she had definitely been a living, breathing woman then. That thought brought Katie up short, a thrill chasing up her spine despite the reassuring adverts on the screen. Whoever that stiff statue person was in the kitchen, they weren't breathing. Only now did she check her phone. She had to tell Rachel about this. As the dating show started, theme music blaring, she saw Wes had called her several times after she'd left the cafe and sent her a text. The casserole weighed heavy in her stomach. He'd sent her three words. She stared at them, trembling, and for a moment they didn't make sense. Ricky killed Gran. Katie's breath caught. She read it again. No. That couldn't be right. Gran had been killed by something powerful enough to rip her apart, splatter her over the ceiling, rip her head off and suck out her eyes. She convinced herself Uncle Marcus was responsible, or the elders en masse. She'd suspected Ricky a bit. But he was a cocky twat. He got high and punched people. 
he might be a god or something now, but... But... Her eyes... I'm a fucking idiot. He's seen everything she's seen. He knows every conversation we ever had. The room closed in on her as if it could sense her sudden surge of emotion. The ceiling creaked. You okay? The voice came from beside her, but no one had entered the room. Katie flung herself out of the chair, adrenaline spiking. Carrie stood there, and cannily smooth features carved in a slight frown. You didn't use the door, Katie said, a chill rushing through her. She shook her head, eyes watering. You... you didn't use the door. Carrie glanced at the door and shrugged. It is my door, you know. I can use it or not, as I please. Katie raked her nails down her sleeves. What's wrong with you? It came out as a wide-eyed whisper, and she realised with another queasy lurch that this was rude. I, I mean, I mean, what, what happened to you? Carrie looked down at herself and smiled. That would take a long time to explain. Katie darted a glance at the door again. Ricky was framed in it, casually resting his arms either side of the door jamb, blocking her escape. His tendrils twisted like thick ropes around his shaven head. Where's my brother? In the garden, having a smoke. Katie shook her head. He quit. He ain't much good at sticking to something. Ricky dropped his arms to his sides. Wes said he might have told you something. About me. Katie shook her head, but all she could see were flashes of gore, the ruins of Gran's living room, the mess of shattered bone, the sightless head lying at her feet with half the brain gone. She nearly threw up on the carpet. Ricky nodded. So he did then. Why didn't... Katie croaked, coughed and swallowed hard. Her throat ached and burned with the stomach acid. Why didn't anyone do something? To me? Why didn't anyone stand up to the person who could rip our matriarch to tatters? Ricky stared at her. Is, is that really what you're asking? I'm not afraid of you. It wasn't even a lie. All Katie felt was a deep, blinding hate. Ricky nodded as if this wasn't a surprise. I see that, yeah. I'm going to kill you. Ricky grinned. Katie balled her fists up tight, shaking. I'm... I'm going to put you on the list. I swear to Grandad, I'll make the beast... He growled at her, cutting her off. Fuck's sake, no. No. You were doing so well, weren't she? This was directed at Carrie, who was scowling at him, but motionless. No, Catherine, come on. This has gone on long enough. Get your fucking act together. Katie stared at him, stunned. My what? What the fuck? He marched into the room, grabbed the poker from the fireplace and tossed it at her. She nearly didn't catch it, fumbling the cold brass and barely missing impaling her foot on the spiked end. Ricky rounded on her, finger jabbing accusingly at her face. You never stood up to no one, not ever. They all acted like they was too strong to be on your list and you've never figured out how it works because you've got all this bullshit up here. He tapped his temple, brown eyes flaring a deep ruby red. Gran calling you her little butterfly, did that never get through to you? You ain't changing into something you're not, Catherine. You're changing into something you already are. He flung his arms open wide. So come on. Come on. You want to have a go? Come and have a go. No beast, no list. Just you and me. The poker's heft felt pretty good in her hands this time. Katie didn't even know she'd swung it over her shoulder until she realised Carrie was growing somehow, looming between them, and Ricky was laughing. 
It was the ugly, mirthless laugh she'd heard as a kid and hated. He laughed like that one Yule, right before he smashed her brother Kieran's face in for making some sarcastic remark. Everything in her was on fire. Come on, he said, and she closed the gap without thinking. When she realised she was in swinging distance, doubt came flooding back. She glanced at Carrie or whatever it was that called itself Carrie and swallowed. Carrie's face was unreadable. Only her glassy eyes moved, flicking to Ricky and glinting grey. Not on the carpet, she said. Ricky grinned. Yeah, we'll take it outside. Get our Wesley involved. He shot Katie a dirty look. He voted for the elders to kill you, so I don't know what he's on his high horse about. Katie shuddered, tightening her grip. Anger blazed through her and burst in her brain like fireworks, every fibre of her on fire. She couldn't stop shaking. Outside, Ricky marched to the door. You, me and Wesley. Let's get this all over with and then maybe you'll finally let me help you. Katie followed him through the house and out of the back door, tension building to fever pitch in her veins. She barely registered the cold air as it hit her, the poker searing into her palms. She was going to smash the bastard's face in. Wes was enjoying an illicit cigarette. He stubbed it out on the kitchen wall and nearly choked on the smoke as soon as she appeared. She tightened her grip, fury unquenchable. Don't tell Charlie, he started to say, and Katie swung the poker and caught him right in the ribs. You fucking liar! Her brother crumpled with a surprised grunt, but the hit didn't feel right. It wasn't as satisfying as she'd expected. She whacked it down again and again over his back, and the meaty thud reverberated through her hands and was instantly forgotten. You said you quit! Jesus! Wes coughed flat on the grass, and Ricky sniggered. Katie spun around to face him, quivering, blood surging with manic power. Ricky leered at her brother, that smug grin making her sick. Reminded her about the vote, in case you were wondering. Prick! Katie turned back to Wes. He spat into the soil, struggling to get up. What did you bring that up for? He got to his hands and knees, and Katie caught him across the backs of his thighs, sending him sprawling and howling. Jesus fucking Christ! Ricky's giggle was higher pitched than it should have been, childlike and odd. He giggled like his mum, and Auntie Letty had always creeped Katie out. She swallowed hard. The bead was burning against her chest, but she hadn't registered that until now. You set me up! She didn't recognise her own voice. Her shriek tore her throat and rang in the air, and it felt good. Hitting him again felt better. How did they know where I was? How did they know, Wes? She relished the vibrations until she forgot them and Wes rolled away from her, wheezing and spitting blood. You... Hey, fuck! I didn't, I swear! They must have been watching the college, fo followed you. You were going to give me to Uncle Barry, weren't you? She raised the poker again, but Ricky stepped in and tugged it out of her grip. Wes coughed and heaved denials out of his lying mouth and she hated him, hated both of them and didn't need to be the beast to tear them apart. I swear... I swear, Wes was mumbling, and Ricky jabbed her with the pointy end of the poker to get her attention. She rounded on him, trying to snatch it back. Give over, let him be. Ricky cocked his head as Katie lunged at him and stepped lightly out of her way. Katie missed, stumbling on the uneven ground, and whirled around to try again. Oi, that's enough. He's a prick, he deserves it, but he's had enough. Take me on now. Katie snatched at her weapon and he let her grab it, but not for long. 
With a twist and a sneer, he wrenched it out of her hand again, sidestepping around Wes still spluttering on the ground. Katie gave her brother a good solid kick as she passed, winding him again. Ricky shoved her away with his free hand. Oi, I said enough. He wants me dead. Tears pricked her vision, threatening to fall. She fought them, but the words were out. All those years of being her main ally, her only friend, the doll's tea parties he'd endured, the cartoons they'd watched, telling her she could come and live with him when she was older. All lies. All of it worthless. All of it. How could you? She choked on the thought of him raising his hand, numbering himself among those who wanted to get rid of her before she got rid of them. Wes shook his head, finally able to kneel up. How... how could I? How... do, do you know what it's like, knowing... He caught his breath and tried again. Look, I'm sorry. He coughed up another gob of blood and Ricky rolled his eyes. Stop being a drama queen, she never hit you that hard. F-fuck you! Ricky snorted. To Katie, he said, You don't want to die, that's all. Katie trembled, her tears winning their ongoing battle. She swallowed a sob, balling her hands into fists. How could she blame him, really? She couldn't. She liked Charlie. And Hugo. What would happen if Wes died and Charlie couldn't see his face anymore? She sniffed, wrapping her arms tightly around herself. He led them to me, she insisted, but she didn't really believe it anymore. She didn't know what she believed. Everything was slipping away from her, the future an uncertain destination, the other side of a fraying rope bridge, and she was swaying helplessly out in the middle of it above a hungry abyss. Ricky's lips twisted. Uncle Marcus told him where to meet you. Then he told them in case Wes fucked up. And Wes fucked up. He offered her the poker, properly this time. And it's technically all my fault, because if I hadn't killed the old bat, Uncle Marcus wouldn't be head of the family and none of this would have happened. But I did. So, come and have a go at me. My turn. Katie eyed him suspiciously, dashing her tears away. He waved the poker. She grabbed it and he let go, stepping back. Don't bother, Wes muttered, staggering upright but keeping well out of range. He's worse than a cockroach. How do you know what Uncle Marcus said? Katie asked, cutting across her brother. Ricky grinned and winked. She groaned. You ate his eye too, didn't you? Once again, his giggle creeped her out. So you could have stopped them? The rage was returning. You could have just... You knew and you still let them chase me? Ricky shrugged. Tell you what, you stick that thing in my skull and if I survive... I'm not on your list and you'll accept my help, properly, no half measures. Katie hesitated. What's that supposed to mean? Don't, Wes warned her, but he didn't intervene. She looked from the poker in her hands to her cousin and his open, guileless face and that god-awful smirk. This is a trick. There was no way he'd stand there and let her kill him, surely. Could she even do it in cold blood? You ought to practice, Rachel had told her once, big brown eyes lighting up. Katie remembered her best friend's serious face framed by grass and daisy chains on lazy summer days, watching with disappointment as Katie cried and tried to wring a squirrel's neck but couldn't stop sobbing. Katie pursed her lips. Ricky's angular chin tilted. His eyes were bright like Rachel's. I ain't bluffing. 
I really will let you. Katie shook her head. No. Ah, oh, come on. Seasy, you swear once we're done here, that's it and that's that. Swear it and have a go. That way you get to say you took revenge for Gran, no hard feelings, and, uh, he gestured vaguely. I open the portal and you sort the list out. Katie bit her cheek. What's, what's the trick? How does it work? I can't kill you, not really. She glanced at the poker. Right? God, that grin. His teeth were all she could focus on. Her mouth was dry. He killed Gran. Don't you want to? Threw me head stone dead. His accent went into Cockney and back again, and she heard Wes muttering under his breath but couldn't make out the words. I hate you, Katie spat, and it felt good to get that out, like spraying out poison. I hate you. You think you're so fucking clever, don't you? But you ruin everything. Everything. She couldn't stop now, even if she wanted to. It all flooded out, word vomit on a tide of fury. All my birthdays when I was a kid, pretty much every Yule you ever bothered to show up to. You're a fucking embarrassment. And you took Gran away from me. You, you took her away. She couldn't see. Angry tears blurred the garden and smudged him out of existence, the way she wanted to erase him from her life. I hate you. Wes sniggered, but Katie was over him too. Shut up, Wes. See, this is why I had to abduct you. Ricky was infuriatingly calm. Knew you'd never come if I just asked. She charged him, poker raised, point first. She expected him to dodge. He didn't. The point went straight into his head, her whole weight behind it, and right through into his skull. 